And now we take great pleasure in presenting to you the star of our program, Miss Kate Smith. Hello, everybody. It is my happy privilege to introduce a new song, God Bless America. God bless America. God bless America. Dare we sing this song today while harboring any expectation that God, the holy God of the Bible, would bestow upon us his truest blessing? Why would we choose to gaslight ourselves in such a way? But it seems that we do. Today, the average American has no real sense of history or national pride. The younger generation has no respect for the achievements of our forefathers. They're tearing down statues and rewriting history. And most certainly, they offer no deference to the things of God. We have manufactured a constitutional concept establishing a separation between the church and the state. In our elected leaders' minds, God has no right to interfere in, in the affairs of the state. But the state has every right to critique and enter into the affairs within the church. They evidenced this in 1962 and 1963, by ruling God out of the public square. This was done by Earl Warren, Chief Justice of the Supreme Court in Ingle v. Bittang, 370 U.S. 421, and he issued his opinion, which now has become accepted as law. God bless America. You congressmen say this, and you presidents give your states of the union addresses, and you like to close it out by saying, and God bless these United States of America. Look around you. Please read and follow what is going on. Men and women, look and listen. See what people are doing and voting for in Washington, D.C., and in our governor's state houses as well. These arrogant, highly educated, intelligent people have willfully rejected God and stand filled with a conceit that God will not tolerate. Do not be fooled. God will not bless this. He will not be mocked. The principles of the Bible are the groundwork of human freedom. Our inalienable rights are given to us by God. Sorry, boys. God's blessing ain't coming. His hand has been removed and his eyes have turned away. You can say what you will, but God blessing America is not going to happen. He will not hear your prayers. Why? What have you done? What have we done? What has happened to Christianity in America? Not religion. We have lots of religion. We have many, many people who believe many, many different things. But what has happened to biblical Christianity in the United States of America? This is my question. And this will be a topic that we will consider in this podcast, Controlling the Narrative, Faith of Our Fathers. My name is Frank Goss. And I want to thank you for following along with us in our Controlling the Narrative podcast. We hope the information we provide is beneficial to you. And again, thank you very much for listening.
This may sound a bit odd, but it's true, and you'll understand as I go along what I mean. We definitely need to look back if we're going to go forward. By that, obviously, I mean that if you don't understand history, you're doomed to repeat it. And right now, we are in the throes of repetition. What's going on in our nation is nothing new to the global scene. It is something that has happened time and time and time again. But we need to look back if we're going to go forward. We do. And if we forget the past and we reject all that we have learned and all that history has taught us, we play the part of a fool. The Apostle Paul boldly said, Forgetting the things that lie behind, I press on. And I agree fully with that. But he was not speaking about the historical lessons and personal history and experience. He was speaking about the sordid past of sin that had blanketed his path. He's been forgiven, and the weight of all that sin had been removed. He can now move ahead freely from the guilt that kept him in chains. That's what he was referring to. And that stuff can stop the greatest of leaders. A sense of guilt and shame. It causes you to lose your confidence and your trust and your hope. You can't just forget about it and repress it as so many of us try to do. Paul was saying that the past sins were forgiven in Christ. He pressed on not to become great and possess more. He pressed on to know Christ, to know him better, to grow in his relationship to the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He knew history, though. Paul was a well-studied man, and he saw the importance of history, and even recounted in Philippians his personal history. So burning down our history and removing the statues and revising what has actually occurred in order to fit a narrative is a terrible thing and a very foolish thing. But it is an agenda that is held by a particular ideology. You forget the past, you burn it down, and you start all over. This is the fundamental basics behind Marxism. And this is how they approach a change in society. But if you forget the past, and you, you will most definitely lose sight of where you're going. Now this is what we're going on today. It's part of an ideology that was taught and has been taught for the past 175 years in the United States. It entails completely overthrowing all existing and long-established social norms, and the ideas of eternal truth, which, if you look at it closely, is history and religion. I've addressed education in past podcasts, but will of necessity revisit this in order to understand why the true Christian worldview has all but disappeared from the American stage. In 1647, Massachusetts passed a new law when they were a British colony. It, it created a compulsory educational program, and it was recognized as the norm in their society. That was in 1647. Private schools and churches typically undertook this education, and it was controlled on a local basis. 205 years later, 
the government had changed dramatically. And in 1852, 65 years after establishing the federal government, Massachusetts passed the United States' first compulsory school attendance law for the United States. From that point on, parents were required by law to send their children to federally run government schools with curricula written and established by a guy named Horace Mann. Attendance was mandatory under the legal threat of force. And looking back, we can see that things began to decay just a few years after the nation's birth. The law of entropy began, but would not be noticed for well over a century. Together, we're asking why and how. Well, today we're looking at one of the major causes. Before the legislation that was brought about in Massachusetts, which eventually bled over into all the U.S. states in subsequent decades, cities and towns were compelled to provide government-run schooling for those who wanted it. Parents were not obligated to use those schools. This is in Massachusetts. And many didn't. They chose not to. They chose instead to send their children to private schools, church schools, or charity schools, dame schools in their neighborhood's kitchen, apprenticeships for older children and teens, or they homeschooled them. The government began to stretch its reach and test its authority and power. And it gained what was perhaps the most vital territory in history when they gained the minds of the children. The fellow behind this was a guy named Horace Mann. To gain an understanding, we need to consider Horace Mann's religious perspective. I do not believe that we could challenge his patriotism. He was strongly in support of the Republic and was optimistic regarding the nation's future. His political views are not really in question. But I would add that his biblical understandings profoundly shaped his political views. A man's understanding of God is often declared in how he understands the United States government. Yes, that's true. The Constitution was established on biblical principles, not on simple principles devised by other men, but principles that were drawn directly from the Scripture, and it was intended for immoral and religious people. You strip the Bible away and you have no fundamental basis for morality. The Constitution has no authority or influence if you have an immoral individual. It will be governed and forgotten and eventually of no value. When this happens, you'll see despotism and self-destruction within the nation. That is what we are witnessing today. Now this is not my opinion alone. John Adams, the second president of the United States, said this, as did James Madison, the author of the Constitution itself. The success of the nation depended on the virtue of the people. As a man understands a sovereign God gives rights, he understands liberty and freedom. You strip the people of the knowledge of God, and you will strip them of their freedom. So, understanding how a man views God is critical in our system of government. How does a man view Christianity and the Bible? Suppose he was responsible for developing pedagogic 
and curricula to develop a particular quality in an individual, impressing certain life qualities into particular individuals. In that case, it's proper and fair for the community as a whole and the parents to diligently ask where that man stands on critical issues. And one of the questions that was asked and should be asked was, where do you stand in your view and understanding of God and the Christian faith? In America, 2023, the children are considered to be property of the state. Hillary Clinton, the past Secretary of State and the former First Lady, defiantly stated that it takes a village to raise a child, meaning that the state and the parents are to work together with the state supervising. Plato believed that the child belongs to the state and its education is the responsibility of the state. That's in the Republic, book 2, page 376. Read it. Collectivists, or Marxist Democrats, today we call them progressives, in the vernacular of our day, throughout history have said that children do and should belong to the state and that if you control the children, you control the future. The statists, the progressives in Washington, generally believe that we're committed to the idea that they know what's best for your child. They have the experts. They have the people with the PhDs and the high degrees. They have the social resources. They have this information and the money and the collective knowledge that you do not have. They disagree with the biblical view that the family is the best department of health, education, and welfare God created, and they view anyone that holds such a view and expresses this publicly as an extremist and a religiously obsessed individual, and it's not safe for any child to dwell in such an environment. The former Texas Senator Phil Graham once told a woman who was very liberal and was expressing her ideas about state ownership of children, he said, my educational policies are based on the fact that I personally care more about my children than you do. As an advocate of the status position, the lady promptly responded and said, oh no, you don't. Well, Graham replied, Okay, what are the names of my children? The lady sat down. My history study has shown me, and I will remind you that I am by no means a scholar, nor do I hold any degrees, that education is and has been a central issue in every society and culture throughout history. Here in America, we have several men to consider when it comes to education. And of course, of these, we will focus briefly, right now, on Horace Mann. Horace Mann was a humanist. He opposed the ministers of his day who saw this side of his character. The Christian ministers saw that he was shifting from biblical education into the humanistic endeavor and the base of as the base of education. The way Mann put it was that public education needed to be non-sectarian, but yet he was bringing the children back to the age of enlightenment and understanding. He believed that if the government could control the children, what they learned and how they learned, 
It would control the nation's future. Horace Mann was a dedicated Unitarian. Even today, Unitarians reject the Bible and the Protestant faith teachings. The Unitarian doctrinal views are essentially another name for socianism. These guys, serious and sincere they may be, reject the fundamental teachings of the Bible. Theistic rationalism originated in the Enlightenment era among men such as Voltaire, Kant, Thomas Paine, and even Thomas Jefferson. And this is where man stood. Man offered religion in his educational syllabus, so the men and the people in the community were somewhat mollified. But what did he mean by that? The religion he was pushing was a Unitarian humanism, or, following the popular idea, sound religious instruction. Many Christian men, recognizing the heretical teaching espoused by Unitarians, opposed Horace Mann, and they argued vehemently against this sort of education, to no avail. The government was decided, and as mentioned, in 1852, the laws of Massachusetts were changed, which required all children to attend not a locally run school, but a government-run public school. As a side note, man's methodology used to influence the state of Massachusetts in common, is commonly used today by the progressive or the Marxist Democrats. Using strong, loaded words, wording that attempts to influence an audience by appealing to the emotional stereotypes that can draw a tear, they publish misleading reports and omit information that may damage their cause. In other words, they presented half-truths. Underline this and don't forget it. A half-truth may convince a crowd, but eventually we can all agree that a half-truth is a whole lie. It's fair to say that man does not hold a favorable position within Christian circles, and he's played an important role, perhaps one of the more critical roles, in the diminution of Christianity in America. While his name is virtually unknown by many, his influence has been immeasurable. The Vikings, if we're going to consider certain things, the Vikings were the first here. Leif Erikson beat Christopher Columbus to America by 500 years. He's considered the first European to have set foot on the American continent before the Spaniards. 500 years later, Christopher Columbus arrived here by accident. He was searching for a direct west water route from Europe to Asia. Instead, he stumbled on to the Americas. He aimed to bring back silks and spices from Asia for King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella of Spain. The Spanish followed and came to the west and eventually settled in Florida, founding St. Augustine, which is now the oldest city in the United States. They came in pursuit of riches and gold, and some men searched for the rumored fountain of youth. In 1607, Jamestown was the first permanent English settlement and which was founded in Virginia by the Virginia Company. In 1620, the pilgrims arrived on the Mainflower. Getting blown off course, they finally found land in Cape Cod. 
Their desire for religious freedom in a land far, far away from England was now being realized. They had seen their brothers in the faith burn at the stake, and they watched while Queen Mary continued her bloody reign. They knew then that it was time to go. But we see two problems developed here early. 156 years after the pilgrims landed in the New World, there was a declaration made of independence from English rule. The Founding Fathers met in 1787 and agreed on what we now call the Constitution of the United States. These men were committed patriots. Some were men of God, sincere in their faith. Others were students of the age. Enlightenment. One, Thomas Paine, he was a deist. The values of Scripture held a prominent place in the consideration given to the formation of the Constitution. While Christianity was the major religion in the United States, the United States was not formed and based on the Christian religion alone. Another problem is that 56 years after the signing of the Constitution, the first government school was established in Massachusetts. This was through the effort of Horace Mann, the Unitarian. He was a, a member of the Whig Party and the Common School Movement leader. A Unitarian in his faith and a genuine distaste for anything Protestant or Puritan ruled his mind. School attendance was mandatory, and eventually this spread to the several states and became the law of the land. Following this model, the government would be given reign over the American children's education on a national basis. So this, my friend, was the first brick in the edifice of liberty and justice that was being removed. You're listening to Vintage Broadcasting, our new podcast, Controlling the Narrative, Faith of Our Fathers. In this podcast, we're asking the question, why is Christianity fading in America? As always, we hope this information has been beneficial to you and helps you understand the history that has brought us to where we find ourselves today. As always, thank you very much for listening.